Thomas. Good morning. Yeah, it's different to be here with the light and I'm not sweating buckets. It's, it's good to be here and to see so much orange out there. It's marvelous, it's marvelous. Um, so there is um, a piece from last night I want to share. Um, there is also a piece that I want to share for today. Um, I took time to remember and honor my father a couple talks ago, and I, I want to do the same with Lorraine. Um, and then I need something that connects it. And for that, I turn to John, first chapter. In the beginning was the Logos, and the Logos was with God, and the Logos was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him and without him. Not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. Please pray with me. Thank you for your presence, God. And this spirit which goes all the way back to the beginning. Help us resonate with that spirit right here and right now. And prepare us to resonate with that spirit in the days that follow. Amen. Logos is a word that our English Bibles often translate as word, capital W word. Uh, but it's, as I think about it, it's helpful to remember that this is, you know, the Greek here is a different word for word than another word for word, which means the things that are written on the pages, the things that we speak. This word is beyond words. And here I go getting kind of cosmic again. But think of it as spirit, or I think of it as spirit. I think of it as a way of naming holy and divine and God. And as a Christian, believe that that spirit becomes incarnate in Jesus. But I, I want to step into both my piece from last night and what I want to share today by naming um, once again, and I name it every time I talk really, a, a guiding theology for me, which is the yo-yo ma theology. Um, and, I, and I think plenty of theologians say the same thing. I'm reading a good bit of Richard Rohr right now, and he talks about this kind of dynamic in the second half of life, this, this way of being that we're, we hope to move, that we seek to move toward. 
And it basically means being in sync with God. And this is how Yo-Yo Ma described it. It was a talk I heard him give a long time ago, 20 plus years ago. And uh, it was actually at uh, the Boston Public Library. It was an event honoring Albert Schweitzer. And the organizers were friends uh, with Yo-Yo Ma and invited him to come just play a short piece because Schweitzer was a great lover and student of Bach. Um, and so this amazing cellist was getting ready to do that, but he wanted to reflect on Schweitzer, reflect on healing, and reflect on his own approach to music making, if not life, right? And he, up on this little stage in the auditorium at the library, said he imagines a great pulse that goes to the beginning, right? In the beginning was the logos word, spirit, pulse. And that pulse continues, he said. And um, he can sit on stage and make music and it will be fine. I mean, to our ears, it would always be more than fine, I think. But he says, when he is in sync with that pulse that goes to the beginning, he said, that's when he makes real music. That's when it is truly, truly beautiful. And I, I think of that as a way for me to understand the spiritual quest, to try to be in sync with that pulse, not only in making music, but in living and serving and loving and being. And sometimes I can, I sense, oh, oh, I'm here, and other times I'm, I'm, I'm against it, right? Um, and the, the practice, practices are to try to be open to that and live in that and be with that, and a huge part of that is love. By the way, as I mean, I've told that story many times, uh, just within the last year, um, the organizer of that conference reached out to me um, because he knew Lorraine and you know, we had lunch. And I shared with him how I, I, I quote that conference all the time. And he said that that conference actually had a big difference on Yo-Yo Ma, um, who went from the, the, the things that were shared and the, 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 the wholeness of that remembering Albert Schweitzer, he then went on to do these incredible things here and there with the homeless population of Boston including playing at soup kitchens and stuff like that. Um, so it was a, I guess you can say it was a good day at the library, um, certainly for me, but for Yo-Yo Ma too. Um, so I lift that up, you know, a theolog theology of Yo-Yo Ma. And with that, it's kind of just a frame, a guiding point. Um, let me step back into what I wanted to share, what I was sharing last night, and that was along the lines of brokenness meets brokenness, um, and where there is healing and holiness, um, when we can do that. Um, another word, I mean, the, the piece I quoted from Stevenson went 
to the need for compassion. We have a choice in our humanity. Here's a piece of that. It's empathy. Um, I heard an interview um, a couple months ago that really grabbed my attention so much that I it's one of those cases where I just I didn't want to get out of the car when I parked. I needed to listen to the rest of the interview. Um, and it was with a, a business school professor named Nancy Kane. And she was, she's done this study of really key, in her mind, great leaders from the last, I don't know, call it 150 years. And what qualities are there that are important. And one that she lifted up was empathy for really effective leadership, particularly leadership in times of crisis, she said a quality she saw in these various figures that she studied was empathy. And it led to a conversation with the interviewer about a concern for a lack of empathy in our society and in our times which was interesting to me. Now, she quoted a couple of surveys that would seem to point in that direction, uh, a, a lessening ability to really feel what the other person feels, to meet their brokenness with mine, if you will, and really sense what they're feeling. Now, I don't know how much you can really measure that. I'm not sure how much a survey can capture that, but you know, take it for what it is. But then there were a couple of stories, um, a couple of anecdotes that in their, own, in their own anecdotal way were really compelling to me. And it's from the, 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 the world of politics, I have to say. But let me just tell you up front, there's a story from the left and a story from the right, okay? Um, one story was um, about a candidate, a Democratic candidate, for president, left-leaning, um, who said or posted, I'm not sure how we communicate, he, you know, I've already limited it to a he, haven't I? Oh, well, what, there's, there's, there's so many to choose from, so that's still keeping it kind of open, and that's what I want to do. Um, uh, this, this candidate um, communicated um, and encouraged those who would listen to him, say, we should imagine the heart and soul and feeling of those that voted for Trump in the last campaign says we need to try to understand how that how that voter felt you know what was important to them and and this guy just got slammed on social media you know slammed from those on the left with him slammed for that that suggestion of an exercise okay that's story number one story number two comes from a leader out west um, uh, who is definitely in the right side of things and has a pretty devoted following. But he was concerned by the way refugees were being treated at the border. Folks who were uh, trying to escape from horrific situations back home and just, you know, look into America as people have done for generations for safety. And he said, we, we should try to imagine what that person feels and thinks empathy. And he too got slammed by his followers on the right. And those stories point to a problem. We're 
a lot of our brothers and sisters are afraid to do what I'm suggesting is really at the heart of, I would say, the gospel and heart of healing, heart of mercy, compassion, and trying to, un to, to walk in somebody else's shoes. That's what, that's what the invitation is. Try walking in somebody else's shoes. Why did somebody vote that way? Well, try on their shoes and try to imagine it. Why is somebody traveling hundreds of miles to try to cross a border? Put yourself in their shoes. It's empathy. And they both got slammed for it. And that is concerning to me as somebody who loves and seeks to follow Jesus. It's also a concern to me, given what Professor Cain has suggested, that what our country and what our leadership needs in a time of crisis is empathy. But there is some good news. I think we can practice empathy. I think we can. And here is a story, for another story from my church. There is a member of my church who has a speech impediment. And you can hear some of the connection to the stories I was sharing last night. Um, I love this guy. I'm going to call him Gary. And uh, Gary participates, has been invited, and for a few years participates in this graduate school class at uh, Boston University. It is a program for master students who are learning about speech pathology and how to become you know, counselors, therapists. I'm not, speech pathologist maybe is the, is the correct term, but they're learning skills in that, and they have a course um, to learn how to lead therapeutic groups for people with speech impediments. And as part of the course, it's really wonderfully set up. Um, they invite member community members from Boston who have different kinds of speech impediments. And together, this group learns, learns some of the history, some of the, the science, what folks are understanding about this, also some techniques. And then the graduate students have small groups within the class and, and practice these techniques. It's a wonderful model. Um, the end of the class, which was last May, these guests from the community are allowed to invite people to come to the closing class, closing presentation. And Gary invited me um, and a couple of other folks from the church. And so I got to be there and listen to presentations, many of some from professors, some from grad students, more from people who are dealing with speech impediments themselves. And then we break into small groups. And the small groups are places to practice empathy. That's what they tell us. And within that small group, like five or six of us, we each had a card. And it told those of us without impediments, this is your impediment. You get stuck on the letter T or whatever it might be. And then we were to have a conversation and try to do that. And one member of our group was a person with an actual impediment. And after we had this conversation and practiced it, we talked about the experience. And it was incredibly moving to me. In my case, I shared that I'm trying to get, you know, say words so that I'm trying to think about what words 
I'm going to get stuck on. And the person with the impediment said, well, that's like my experience because I'm always trying to think of the words that I won't get stuck on. And it was just, um, it was a really, that was 15 minutes, but it was a time of walking in somebody else's shoes. So just like at camp, we can tune our, our attentiveness so that we might notice marvelous things around us in the theater of God's glory. In the same way in camp, and I think this is true, we can tune our hearts and maybe to be a little more literal, our feet to walk in somebody else's shoes, to have compassion, to feel. You know what this is. This is love. And camp does invite us to do that. I grew up going to another kind of camp. It wasn't JFO or CFO. It's, it's, it's not a very inviting name. It's Synod School, right? Um, and that's, you know, that's a church adjudicatory for those of you who don't know. But it sponsors this, this gathering of families for a week every summer. I was there last year. And it, like many of you grew up at Winnie, I, I grew up going to this event in Storm Lake. And this past week, um, I met a teenager um, who reminded me of, of my own experience uh, as a teenager there. Um, his name is Peter, and it was the morning. We were walking to breakfast, and it was maybe the, I don't know, third day of camp. I'm just going to call it camp, right? Third day. Um, and he says, how are you doing today? And I said, I'm doing well. How are you? He says, I am enthusiastic. And, and I should say, Peter, I mean, you get the sense. I, I'm not sure if he's on. He, he's, a, he's a brilliant boy. Um, maybe somewhere on the spectrum, you know, has this kind of different, I mean, some of the social skills. Let me put it this way. I could imagine him having a hard time in many social high school settings, okay? I can easily see that. Um, but, uh, you know, his own person, and he's saying, I am enthusiastic. And I said, that's pretty great. Um, why are you enthusiastic? He said, because it's another day of synod school. What do you like about it? I love everything about synod school. I wait all year for this week. It's like, it's like Christmas, and you have a whole week of Christmas. And I flash back to my own high school days, and I didn't, I, I didn't have the challenges that he faces in school, but I absolutely had my own boatload of insecurities. And what I felt at, again, I'm going to call it camp, was love, unconditional love. A lot of older people and not-so-old people just kind of loving me for who I was and letting me participate in the community. Tuning our hearts, tuning our feet, loving. And I would suggest 
that empathy is a way to be with the logos and make beautiful music. I spent time remembering my dad. I now want to spend some time remembering Lorraine. And obviously, uh, I knew her many, many, many years and have lots of stories I could share, but I want to share just a couple of stories from the few months before she passed. And I do that because I think I, they were so... I mean, uh, I guess I, I do that because I want to make the point today that we can get in sync and be a part of beauty on the, in the good times, but incredibly, that's possible in the hard times. And it is such, I'm, I'm still struggling with how to describe this because it really, there, it, there was such pain in that time and a lot of anticipatory grief. I call it grief by a thousand paper cuts because we could see what was happening. And there were many disappointments along the way, trips we had to cancel and things like that, we, trips that we could not even imagine that we wouldn't get to imagine. I mean, there's a lot of that, but there was just extraordinary beauty. And a lot of that I attribute to Lorraine and her own attentiveness. And I learned so much from her in those times. Um, a lot, of course, I attribute to the grace of God and to the way God is if we can tap into that, which I believe my wife did. Um, I will, three groupings of stories. Oh, let me just say this as I, as I step into the stories. Um, one, one way I've come to think about it is at, with Lorraine as a star and various scientists and people just more fluent in science than I ever will be have told me that a star shines brightest right before it dies. Um, which is the way I think of this time in the summer of 2017. First recollection is a conversation we had, and it's actually a, a, a conversation we had many times in different permutations, but it would go something like this, as we were just sitting thinking, you know, about what was happening, um, and, and she would say, but you know, uh, there is, uh, we have been, we are awfully lucky. We have been blessed so many times. And together we could recount, you know, her parents, my parents, our families, uh, the the schools we got to go to, the people we met in schools, our friends, um, the jobs we got to do, which were, which I, I don't know if I mentioned this, but she was a primary care doctor in a neighborhood health care clinic in Fields Corner in Dorchester. Um, 
an amazing, amazing place with such a great mission um, of help tending to people's health regardless of means. Um, and she had been there as long as I'd been at the church. Um, so amazing jobs. Uh, she got to teach at BU and I got to teach. And, and most of all, our kids who were healthy and bright and had good hearts and were kind. And, you know, like in, 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 in the poker game of life, we had drawn ama an amazing hand of cards. But we just had this one really stinky card. You know, but beyond that, we had drawn aces, and she knew that, and she would say that, and she would remind me to remember that. And because I'm a preacher, I've got to draw a lesson, right? And here's lesson one: be grateful. Be grateful. So here's a second story. Um, this place where she worked and had, had, this, had taken a leave uh, in the early part of the summer. Um, wanted to honor her. And it wasn't exactly a retirement party. It was just some kind of recogni recognition lunch party with an awareness that she probably would not be coming back to work. And uh, we, I mean, the day it could happen was September 12th, um, which, which as it turns out was the, the day before she died. Um, and she really wanted to be there, but she just, she was at home and it just wasn't strong enough. So. We had her on this big, big screen, you know, this big Skype scene. And bless her heart, because there were hundreds of people who had come. Um, former patients had come, certainly the whole staff of Dorchester House. Um, people had come from BU Med School because they heard there was this event. Colleagues came. People from my church community heard about it. I mean, it was just full. And some of these folks, especially the patients, would would come and, you know, talk to this big screen, you know, this big face of Lorraine reclining on a pillow, um, telling, telling her how much uh, she appreciated, they, they appreciated her. And bless her heart, she was there just trying to smile for the whole thing, and she was so tired. Um, but many people also came to me. I was there with my youngest daughter, whose name is Grace. Um, we were there representing the family, and so people would come to us and give us cards and give us presents. The head of the custodial, um, or the building management staff, this big bear of a guy came and, and um, uh, he and the rest of the staff had gone to their maintenance shop and built this kind of wooden plant holder and bought a little flower, you know, from Stop and Shop and, and gave it to me to give to her which was, you know, incredibly beautiful. They went on later on to build a whole bench. There is now a bench in the little garden of Dorchester House in her honor that the crew built. And uh, colleagues tell me that, that patients will sometimes go and sit on the bench and talk to Lorraine. Um, but anyway, on this day, 
one man came and he gave me a, a, another beautiful flower and, and a card. Um, and I knew this man. This man uh, would show up in church. Um, he's from Ireland and had uh, a beautiful brogue <laughs> that would somehow get accentuated which, when he was drunk, which was a whole lot of the time. And Lorraine had spent a lot of time trying to steer him into a program and a rehab and sobriety. Um, he would come to church and, and announce to the whole church that his doctor is the greatest doctor in the world. And she is right here in this church. And Lorraine would try to bring him out. Anyway, it was a very, there was a lot of drama around this man. Um, when he came to this event on September 12th, however, he was in sobriety. And he, he got a good string of sobriety together. Um, and, and I should add that when he was drunk, he was a mean drunk. And uh, he would get into all sorts of altercations. And he was just, he, he was a hard guy to deal with, although very charming. Um, and a nice singing voice, I have to say. Um, but anyway, he gave me this card, and I didn't open it till I was home. But when I was home and enjoying, loving this flower that he gave me, this orchid, I, I, I opened it up, and all it said was, Dear Dr. Lorraine, thank you for being kind to me. Signed his name. And, uh, you know, we say, if you take Matthew 25 seriously, that the way you treat hurting people, the least of these, that's the way you treat Jesus. So I, Jesus was treated very, very well by the rain. I got another. I got a lot of cards, but I another. I got another card sometime later from a photographer over at BU, who would cover the med school events, and it was like many cards, just saying, you know, condolences. She was lovely, and he wrote, "You don't know me, um, but I am deaf, and every time Lorraine saw me." taking pictures at an event or something, she would make a point of coming over to me and having a conversation. I would add I saw a whole other dimension of her kindness in these last days as she received kindness. There can be a kindness in the way you receive kindness. Because let me just bear witness, some people are awkward <laughs> in how they express their love and their wanting to be a help. And it would be very easy to say, why don't you just not come by the house? Because it's, it's, it's kind of stressful, <laughs> you know, the way this person is, is trying to be kind. But Lorraine realized they needed to express their support and kindness which she received with great grace, 
like smiling on a giant screen for 25 minutes, you know, and just receiving what was being offered. So, lesson number two, be kind, especially to those who are hurting. One more story or constellation of stories. Um, after a long stretch in the hospital in August, uh, she got to come home like the third, fourth, third weekend, some, sometime in late August. Um, and because of that, there were some folks uh, who were going to come. We, we thought we could host some people uh, for a hootenanny, which is what we uh, do from time to time with some other folks in church and otherwise. They come over to the house and just make music and have a potluck or whatever. We call it a hootenanny. I think we're going to have one at our house the weekend after I get back. If you're in Boston, you're all welcome to come. Um, um, and uh, we, we're going we're let's tell some people, yeah, let's come over, bring some food. Um, and we went to BJ's. Now this, let me just note, this is yet another piece of our domestic life that Lorraine handled, okay? I'm not a BJ's guy, or I wasn't a BJ's guy. But she wanted to make sure we went together. She wanted to make sure I got the ID card that I'm entitled to as a spouse. She wanted to make sure I just knew how BJ's worked. You know, she was preparing me, right? So we went to BJ's and, uh, you know, learned where stuff was, got my card. And, you know, it's a big outing. BJ's is not a little store. You kind of have to wander around. But she did it. Um, and then we pulled up into the driveway, uh, which is right next to our, our, the garden that I was describing the other day, right next to the yard. And she opened the door and just sat there while I was taking the groceries into the house for the hoot nanny. And I was concerned because she sat there a good while. I thought, oh my gosh, like she's not feeling good. And I said, honey, are you, is everything okay? And she said, yeah, I'm fine. I'm just savoring life. Looking at the tomatoes, the flowers, the bushes, the trees, the sky. I'm just savoring life. We had a good night. And actually, that week was a good week. And it led to another weekend, which was probably like the most glorious it was Labor Day weekend, and there were some family members of mine came in, sensing what was going on and wanting to spend time. Um, and within this weekend, uh, we took actually a friend arranged, another friend arranged that we could use their minivan and make a trip to do that very important trip of delivering your child to college, right? to take my youngest down to Middletown, Connecticut. Uh, I know some people are from there, here, uh, to go to start a new semester at Wesleyan. And she did that. We moved her in. And we came back and helped facilitate my other daughter. 
uh, who was moving her move into an apartment in Cambridge or Somerville, technically, right on the line. That was a big thing. Um, there was a lot of church this weekend. Um, she went to that Sunday. Went she went to church not once but twice because we were ordaining a young woman in the congregation into ministry, and and Lorraine really wanted to be there for Sarah. The morning she came and she came late, but it was it was a it was a great great moment. Um, because I had family members there as well as our own choir, we, we joined forces to do um, uh, a Stanfield family favorite, which is the Staples Singers song, I'll Take You There. You know, I know a place. Yeah. Ain't nobody crying. Ain't no smiling faces to the races. Anyway, she, my sister, was carrying her, uh, Lorraine's oxygen tank behind Lorraine as she entered the church right as choir was setting up. And they were coming down the center aisle in a death-defying kind of way. And she went up, and she joined the choir, and with my sister, like, awkwardly holding the oxygen tank behind her, Lorraine managed to sway with the rest of the choir members as we sang about that place and sang, I'll take you there. Last time she sang in our choir. That day was the last day she came to church in the way we know her. And in the center of that glorious weekend, saying goodbye to two kids and setting them up, um, we had a hootenanny, again, kind of impromptu. And in this hootenanny, we went through the songs, which was great, you know, and it was so beautiful. And there was this incredible moment where we decided to, uh, oh, let's sing All You Need Is Love. It's such a classic sing-along. Right, And you can pull off that song with a guitar and a piano or a piano and maybe somebody whacking a cajon to give a little bit of rhythm. I mean, y you can do it, you know, especially if you have a fake book along the way, and we did. Now, as it happens this night, there was one family that was coming in to see her, a uh, family with med school connections to Lorraine. She came, and they're all, they're, they're, they're all great musicians, and they're all string players. And they brought their stringed instruments. And as it happens, they've learned as a family the string parts to a bunch of Beatles songs. <laughs> it also happened that another good family friend was there uh, who plays trumpet and brought his trumpet. And he, too, has learned the trumpet part to a whole bunch of, of Beatles songs. So we did all you need is love. But it wasn't just with a cajon and a piano. We had the string section, right? We had that horn part that you hear in that song, which, which, which you know even if you think you don't know it. You know, it's, just in, it's, it's in your brain. And we were singing, All You Need Is Love. 
And at this point, Lorraine was really tired in her recliner. In her recliner, so she was singing and smiling and singing as you know, with all she could, and just kind of moving her head. Now, as it happens, I I filmed this. I'm not one who films a lot of things on my phone, but there were enough great musicians that I wasn't playing any of that stuff. I was just singing and filming. And I just went around and filmed it and had, you know, a short clip. And it wasn't until later that I saw the best part. The best part of that incredible singing of that Beatles classic. It was Lorraine's feet. I mean, I caught it on the video and her feet are moving along to the song. All you need is love. Wah, 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 wah. All you need is love. Wah, 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 wah. <laughs> and it was later that it hit me that night, that beautiful, God-given night, that Lorraine was savoring life all the way to her toes. So that's lesson number three. Savor life. It is um, our privilege and our call to think about, pray for, and practice ways that we might tune our attentiveness to God's glory and tune our hearts and our feet to the way of love and compassion. And we also, in this week and beyond, practice getting in to that pulse that creates beautiful music by being grateful, by being kind, especially to the least of these, and by savoring life all the way to our toes. With me, hands out. Finally, our liturgical music. <laughs> All you need is love. All you need is love. All you need is love. Love. Love is all you need. Love is all you need. Love is all.